Hello. Oh, and welcome to Getting Juicy. Welcome uh, to Getting Juicy. Hello. And there's Marco. Hello. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? Not bad, thanks. Good. Very good. And we're recording right off the bat, just so you know. So just, you know, full transparency and all that, all that jazz. No problem. <laughs> I love your background, though. Look at all the awesome memorabilia and different kind of inspiration in there. That's fantastic. It's mostly cats. Cats are fantastic. <laughs> I love cats. They're so cuddly and furry and sweet and adorable. Yeah. Exactly. I love on your Instagram, your, your new cat t-shirt that you were showing off. It was it's so cute. I'm a little bit addicted to that company. Like, I'm wearing one of their shirts right now, but it's got wolves on it. Oh. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. They're great because they don't have seams on the side and there's no tags. So that is amazing. I love that makes all the difference for sure in terms of sensation and just making sure that there's nothing in the way. Exactly. Absolutely. So, um, well, first of all, like Hero and I are actually, as you can probably tell, we're in two different cities. So, and I think I might've mentioned that before. So I'm in Vernon. And I like that you know of all these cities because you live in the Lower Mainland. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. As we, we've talked to guests before, I'm like, in the States, I'm like, well, Vernon, I mean, the interior is kind of like, I don't know, Napa Valley of, I don't know, of the States. Vernon's great, though. I love, there's a few shops there that I really love, and the Curry Pot restaurant is delicious. I'm surprised you know about that place. It is delicious. Yeah, and there's the Pink Spotted Goat, and that lady's super nice. Yes, that is, yeah, they're awesome as well. That's hilarious. I just want to go for the name. <laughs> <laughs> the pink spotted goat. That sounds incredible. It is. It's all uh, like local artists that they bring in, and it's a really cool little eclectic shop. Oh, fun. Very fantastic. So we, normally we do like a little kind of introduction to yourself before you hop on, but because you're here already, which I love, I love how prompt and punctual you are, Yay. Maybe we can get you to introduce yourself. To sure. Um, I'm Margot Wask. I am a non-binary they-them person. I am autistic. I'm Jewish. I'm all over the place. Yeah. Hey, you just blew my mind because I didn't know you were Jewish too. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. My last name's on a few buildings in Vancouver. So. Yes. Yes, <laughs> it is. It is for sure. And is that from the ancestry of your family? Yeah, it's my dad's side's, like, relatives, and my uh, grandfather was the original owner of Save on Meat. Really? Yeah. I'm very on? intertwined with, like, the Jewish pioneers of Vancouver, so. That is really cool. Yeah, they helped establish quite a few things, like, I think, um, the Beth Israel Synagogue, and, like, I went to Talmud Torah, which is, like, where nice. Seth Rogen went, my sister yeah. went to Point Grey, yeah. which is also where Seth Rogen went, and, like, yeah. we're just kind of, like... Yeah, and I grew up in Carisdale, I went to kindergarten at Talmud Torah, I went to King David for one and a half years. Okay, so, yeah, I, yeah, I basically grew up in the exact same area. Oh, amazing, we probably know a lot of the same people then. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. That's so funny. How yeah. amazing is that? Whereas I grew, I grew up more like ish, ishy Jew. So it's like, <laughs> it was kind of like, you know, my mom converted before I was born, but still like she had a lot of the, I don't know, the more, I guess you just, for lack of better word, Christian kind of upbringing stuff. So we still did Christmas. We did like Christmas, 
you know, those kind of things. I never actually had a bat mitzvah until I went to Israel on birthright. And they did go, like uh, did you do birthright? I didn't. My sisters both did. Yeah. But yeah. Pretty, pretty awesome. But anyway, that's so many things in common. I love mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm just gonna, like, I'm just gonna kick the door open right now, if you don't mind, because I'm, I'm so curious just reading, a, a, first of all, you are just talented. And I love the art that you create and you are predominantly, is it mostly um, like enamel pins or is it? A That's what I've moved into, but I do also like, I have hundreds of like paintings that I've done that are like here at my mom's. And um, so I kind of started doing paintings and then it kind of evolved into other things. Awesome. Yeah. So have, have you always been very artsy? Yeah. I was so creative as a kid um, that like, so I didn't get my autism diagnosis until I was an adult, but as a kid, um, I was picked on and bullied a lot for being different. And the majority of my dates at school, when we were supposed to be learning, I was drawing in the margins of my paper. Like my mind has always been very creatively focused to the point that like regular academic studies, I just couldn't. I have attention deficit disorder, but I, I'm very creative. So it's like, I'd rather be doing creative things than learning rigid structured things that I can't pay attention to. Right. Yep. yep that makes so, sense. Yeah. So it kind of evolved into what it is today. And I'm like thankful that like, okay, like my life has kind of led me to, to this. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. awesome. I think, I feel like hero, want, hero jump in. I feel like you want to. <laughs> Well, because I have some, we share, you and me share some similar um, neurodiversity um, in different tracks for sure, not identical, but similarly in terms of always being not very academically minded, but still very intelligent, just my brains work differently. So I myself, art, photography, anything creative was, or even on the other side, English and phys ed, but otherwise, you know, none of the social studies or math or essay writing or paper writing, like it just, same for me. So what I'm curious to know about is that what was your first memory of a creative thought? If you can go back to when you thought, what was your first idea to create something? I don't know if it was necessarily a first memory, but it was always being around my mom who is incredibly multi-talented. Like she can do calligraphy in Hebrew and English. She does watercolor. She's done acrylic paintings. She's built things out of wood from scratch. She faux finished our walls. She'd make like, she'd carve watermelons into baskets and stuff oh. like that. So like my mom, just being around my mom, I think would be my first creative memory because I was always watching her at her light table, you know, working on inscriptions and, and like doing her calligraphy on like hundreds of envelopes for weddings and bar mitzvahs and stuff like that. So, I mean, my first creative memory is, is my mom for sure. I, <clears throat> excuse me. Wow. <clears throat> I love that. Um, Something that you, I'm, maybe we'll hop around a lot just because my, I, I just want to get certain questions or thoughts out, but sure. I think something you, you said really kind of piqued my interest just because, you know, I think just for, for folks to, to gain more knowledge on autism. Um, and I love how you say not, you, you really preach like autism acceptance rather than awareness. And I, I love that, um, that change. Oh. Sorry, go oh. ahead. 
queerness specifically is not a narrative that autistic people are in charge of. It's an, it's a narrative that people who think they know what autistic people want are in charge of. And that's a very autism speaks thing. And autism speaks is terrible. So like, I try to distance myself from that because what I say is you can be aware of so many things, but that doesn't mean you accept them. Like think of all the negative things in the world that we're aware of just because somebody's aware of what autism is. Honestly, like, what does that do? Okay, you know what autism is, like, good for that. Like, that doesn't mean that that's going to lead to anything positive or it's going to lead to people understanding what autism is. So it, it just really gets under my skin as a term that's used because, you know, just what it's tied to is, is generally, um, I, I say that the most combative party, I guess, towards autistic people is parents of autistic children. They talk to us like we don't know what we're talking about, even though we're living the experience and we can be the strongest ally for them and their child, but they just discredit us. And I even have gotten into some pretty large arguments with a local bakery here, as well as an organization that essentially, um, I would say it's an exploitation of disabled people in the way that they their structure of their organization is and even the language that they use is yeah. that 90% of consumers if they see that you're hiring disabled people are more likely to spend money at your business mm -hmm. and they use terminology like that and apparently the government is tied in with this organization and there's no information about if they're a profit or non-profit organization on their website there's absolutely no transparency and I've been trying for the past couple of weeks to hold them accountable and they're completely ignoring me. So I've had to oh write some MLAs lately and uh, some government figures to figure out what the heck is going on. Yeah. Wow. I read, I'm sorry. I read, I read your most yeah. recent post. Yeah. So I am fully, fully aware and it's wild. It is very wild. And you know what that kind of reminds me of too is, um, cause here and I were talking about LGBTQ plus, um, community and just with pride and how it's a similar to me it almost sounds similar to like not to discredit what you're saying at all I'm just I'm just finding some similarities to mm -hmm. to companies that um also you know put a rainbow the colors on there you know only during certain times of the year and I think they realize that when they do that they're they're showing acceptance I don't know why I'm putting this in quotations but acceptance and inclusivity and therefore they'll get more attention and more yeah money and you know more um it's it's a sim sort of a similar wavelength well i that's a, that's like rain i guess maybe it's probably called rainbow washing because i yeah. know there's pink washing for breast cancer awareness yes exactly and so yeah it is absolutely there's actually a great documentary called pink ribbons inc that really talks about the pink washing movement so it's essentially the same thing like yeah. There are local breweries that around Autism Acceptance Month, they call it Awareness Month, put puzzle pieces, which puzzle pieces are terrible, all over their box. I think, I want to say, it was Central City Brewing. They put puzzle pieces on their box. They said, we're raising money, we're donating this. They didn't tell you where it was going. And then when I emailed them, I found out it was going to hyperbaric oxygen treatment uh, for autistic people. Whoa. And they didn't even put that on the box. So they're totally duping people by using a symbol of hate and then doing, from what I'm aware of, is unproven treatment for autistic people. Oh, my wow. God. Wow. Oh, so there's so much of that that goes on. And the thing is, is 
Same with that accessible employers who I wrote about. They have this expectation that disabled people are complacent and probably stupid, which obviously I don't think that as a disabled person myself, but the way that they talk about things and the way that they go about things is they don't expect to be challenged because they do not put that intellectual level um, expectation or even uh, being realistic about it. Like they don't expect disabled people to challenge them. They think that they're going to talk about us, they're going to do stuff for us, and that they're not going to hear back from anybody. So when they do these campaigns or like accessible employers, they don't have a single disabled person on their board. So when they talk about us in the ways that they do in any of these organizations, they just really honestly, I don't think, expect that anybody's going to say anything about it. That's a really good, when you, when you brought that to light about, you know, not having a disabled person on their board, um, or even like any real connection or that, that just kind of blew my mind too. Cause you, you just don't, it would, it only makes sense. You know, I mean, then that's, I was ranting to my mom in the car and I was like, you know, this doesn't make sense to me how they're trying to represent us. But the thing is, is the majority of the time it is really for profit. And as this accessible employers people said, it helps our bottom line. So if you find vulnerable people and you're willing to admit that, that the reason why you have the structure of your organization or business, because chances are it is a business which is displacing funds. So they're getting government funds from what I can tell, which is putting more money in their pocket because chances are the hourly wages are being covered by the government, not by the organization. So of course it's going to benefit their profit margin if they're paying less people, like if they're not having their own money come out of their own pocket. So of course they're going to tout things like you want to be part of this organization. You want to hire disabled people. You want to get in with us on the ground floor. And um, one of the organization, one of the, um, actually the co-chair, I had a pretty horrible interaction with. I said, please stop using the puzzle pieces. This is a symbol of hate. It's a symbol of eugenics. It has a really sordid history. It's disgusting what it stands for. Can you please stop? Her response was basically like, you have your opinion and I have mine. And after we had that conversation, I was looking up her business on Instagram and I specifically saw the company that she ordered her boxes from after I had spoken to her a few weeks later, still with the puzzle pieces on them. Oh. And because she has an autistic child, which is a lot of parents of autistic children do this. They're like, I have an autistic child. You don't know me. You don't know my child. These symbols are fine. And it's like, if you introduce any symbols to any youth, as we've seen in the past, obviously they're going to think it's positive and they're going to use them. Mm, like that's yeah. like indoctrination at that point. Right. And that's what a lot of these parents do is they indoctrinate their children into believing that this imagery is positive and thus doing that and incorporating that with their business. They're doing that for all their customers, too, and they are reversing all the work that actually autistic people are trying to do. And it's so frustrating to me because the conversation could have gone a completely different way. It yeah. could have gone, wow, I didn't know this. You know, I'm going to make some changes and we're going to figure out if there's better imagery. Yep. Or moving forward, we just don't need that. And even on this business's website, it's all puzzle pieces. And at the bottom, it says, we see the ability, not the disability. And when people discredit disability or talk about it like it's bad, you're negating. Um, you're essentially telling people who get financial assistance or any kind of assistance, well, you're not disabled. Let's see the ability. You don't need, you don't need those resources. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's, she's this woman and this organization, they're basically doing things like that. They say that hiring disabled people is better retention. Well, not every disabled person is going to know if they're being treated badly and they're not necessarily mm-hmm. going to know how to file a complaint. So obviously you're going to have higher retention because you're taking advantage of people who don't know that they're being taken advantage of. Yeah, absolutely. It just blows my mind that people don't see that, that people want to support organizations like this because they don't see it from the other way. Well, what comes from your, um, your advocacy and your voice and your amplification of these terms and these conditions means that there will be some form of change. It might not happen overnight, but you're amplifying and bringing the same way that these other forms of activism have come up in the last year and a half. You're doing the same thing for your community. And um, as someone that is myself neurodiverse or neurodivergent um, more than VLD, as opposed to um, autism, there are some similarities, but not they're nowhere close to identical, but they have some common threads. It's really interesting to hear some of the stories you've been experiencing um, and being autistic as well. Um, what I've also kind of learned a little bit, and although it is a, a mainstream reference, I think it, it's an interesting observation. Me and Rachel have both watched Love on the Spectrum, and you know there are a couple female identifying uh, folks on the show that say that um, autism in women usually gets missed or they're not. It does. As, so I'm curious to know from an actual live individual that is not in front of a camera as far as like a TV production, I'm curious to know, like, w- can you speak to that a little bit? And what have you noticed in your experience of your own discovery, I guess, and other people in your community? Sure. So as a child, like I was saying before, is I never got autism diagnosis i got told you have attention deficit disorder you've got anxiety you've got depression you've got social anxiety you've got some sensory processing issues which kind of all fall under the umbrella of autism Mm -hmm. um not necessarily like obviously every single person's different and the spectrum is not linear you know there's no high functioning there's no low functioning it's really just differences in the need the support needs and levels of support needs Mm -hmm. um and so somebody growing up who always had to be like removed from the class and having like the remedial like the assistance and being put back in i didn't know and for there was a long time suspicion because of this online bully actually that i had who said that she thought i had asperger's but she was using the term she was weaponizing it against me and Asperger, Hans Asperger was a Nazi. So Asperger has actually been absorbed by the autism diagnosis. So they're right. the same thing, basically. Um, so the more I looked into it, the more I was like, wow, this really sounds like me. So I did an online quiz and I found a UBC doctor who did assessments for free. He no longer does it. And it's a privilege to get an autism assessment. Um, simply because it's around 2,500 Canadian just for the assessment alone. And I mean, that's not going to guarantee anything, right? Like you could go to the assessment and find out, Hey, I just spent $2,500 and I'm not autistic. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me getting that diagnosis and reading more about it and finding other autistic people, I'm like, wow, like I felt like such an outcast growing up. And now here's people that have really similar experiences to me. Yeah. And it just blew my mind. It was like when I got that diagnosis, it was like this overwhelming sense of relief. 
it wasn't a bad thing. It was something to be celebrated because I finally had answers as to why the kids were like, why are you so weird? Why are you so different? Right. Now I know chances are I was having, you know, social problems or anxieties or sensory issues that I just didn't, wasn't aware of. Like being told, oh, you're such a picky eater as a kid. Well, now as an adult, I understand, okay, I have same foods that I like, but it's the textures and maybe the overwhelming taste. And it wasn't that I was being picky. It was that my brain can only handle so much. And yeah, having sensory processing disorder and, and having those things that are just like, you know, like paper straws, paper straws, I cannot deal with. Like uh-huh. it is so overwhelming for me that I have to bring like the reusable plastic hard straws, like the ones you put into travel cups yeah. um, with me to like Starbucks and stuff now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just, you know, uh, it's just been a really interesting journey for me. Yes. That was, that was like five years ago about? Something it? like that. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So that's like, I, I wonder, are there people out there who are advocating maybe for, because actually, I, you know, I, I know one of my girlfriends, her son was diagnosed with autism and he's probably seven now, but yeah, she had to go through the whole rigmarole and it was like, you know, a few thousand dollars and it took like, I don't know how long. And it was just, it was, you know, a bit of a nightmare. Are there people out there that are trying to advocate for, to have free assessments or to have like, is that a thing you think that'll happen? I don't know. There is definitely some people and some movements in terms of, I know, greater resources for, um, I don't know necessarily for assessments. I believe that they should be more readily accessible. And I think people need to get over the stigma that adults can't be autistic because that's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Um, it's, you know, it's part of who I am and it's not going anywhere. So like that's that's frustrating but there are like I find that people are really trying hard to get more funding and more um just more resources like I participate in your university's uh, autism mental health literacy project and they put a piece of my art actually on the cover as well um which is cool my love grows design um and that that is so needed like I've gone to mental health wards before seeking assistance and they told me, well, you're autistic. We can't help you. Um, And so now that this guide exists, this guide provides, um, I guess, whoever wants to get this guide um, information about autism and mental health. And that didn't exist before. So I'm thankful that they got the funding to create that project and to really involve autistic people because they did like every single chapter, everything was reviewed by the participants in the project. They really involved everybody. Um, Whereas, you know, other things don't involve autistic people at all. They just talk about us. Um, So there are things that are trying to be done. I know that some organizations, you know, will speak at different budget meetings and bring things up and and challenge, I think, the federal and provincial governments. But obviously more needs to be done and more funding needs to happen. And more funding needs to happen for disabled people in general. Like I was saying when I was having this conversation with my mom, like how are there organizations that act as the middleman or get disabled people hired for large corporations and profit off of that? Where are the grants for, for disabled small business owners? 
Yes. Where's that money? If this organization, Accessible Employers, if each of their 25 president's group members threw in $250 into a grant, they'd have well over $5,000 that they could help people with. But I think the greed, especially for that, is, is too strong. And people just do not believe that disabled people can run their own businesses. And there's no grants. We're the only program is, um, I believe, Community Futures puts it on. And they encourage you to take out a loan. And I think to encourage disabled people to take on any debt is disgusting, is truly disgusting, because you know that these larger corporations and these organizations are getting government handouts. They're getting money that is not expected to be paid back because clearly they're going to see the benefits in taxes and whatever else, the economic stimulation, perhaps. But when it comes to individuals... I got most of my funding through arts grants, but who's going to know that if you're making enamel pins and you're doing what I'm doing, that an art grant would even be appropriate for that. Because some people may view that as, well, you're going to get this money to make art, but you can't make money off of your art. Do you know what I'm saying? Like people don't necessarily equate those things. So I'm trying so hard to figure out a way that we can implement you know, as, as a community, as a whole, as Canada, implement some kind of grant for disabled small business owners and mentorship to go along with that. I don't need the organi- the um, programs out there help you get the groundwork done. So they'll help you get things like, you know, your business plan and, and that, and then they'll help you get a loan. I guess they'll help you figure out how to allocate your funds. I don't, I've already done everything flying by the seat of my pants with absolutely no idea really of what I'm doing. And I just do it. Um, yeah that it would be so nice to have more funding like i know other people who are like i'm tr- i'm disabled and i want to i want to help myself and think about that if you can get people who are disabled to and they want to look after themselves and they want to make a positive change and maybe bring um some light to whatever they're dealing with through their products like i do yeah there is a benefit to the economy as well like if I become independent enough one day and successful enough one day that I won't need help, that benefits everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it just blows my mind that that kind of thing does not exist. Like I'm not taking out debt. I'm just, I'm not doing it. You're, you're opening my eyes to so many things this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy about it. And I'm hoping other people will take a lot from this conversation as well. You know, there, there have been so much, especially because of the pandemic, even more, I'll just, I'll just say awareness, more awareness around mental health. Like it's a huge, a huge can of worms. It's just been, it's not like, it's not stigmatized really anymore. I mean, everybody, everybody's talking about it. Like I said, with, with the pandemic, do you feel like it's just a question? Cause I'm not sure myself, but do you feel like, um, autism or, or, uh, those that are disabled, that that's fallen through the cracks a bit? Oh, absolutely. And we always have been, whether it's like even like learning disabilities, I fell through the cracks. Yeah. Being autistic, I'm falling through the cracks because the stigma is so strong associated with autism, mental health uh, issues, um, and that kind of thing. And disabilities, there's so much stigma attached that people get so clouded by the stigma that they're not really seeing the real issues that are happening. The inequalities, the inaccessibility, the exploitation like it all gets swept under the rug and there's really like it just frustrates me because I feel like we're almost 
used as like a scapegoat for other issues. And I get that there's bigger things going on. Like I totally get that. And I'm not negating that there's probably more pressing issues, but at the same time, it's like, when are they going to do something? When is the government going to acknowledge this like deficit and this inequality and like understanding that the monthly income for something on disability is not realistic Mm -hmm. in terms of like the housing prices and not having enough low-income housing either like just stuff like that it it just it blows my mind that in this day and age when you have especially in vancouver a housing market that is so inflated Mm -hmm. that you still don't have enough housing or enough affordability for people that are you know close to the poverty line or in a lower income bracket like there's just not enough out there and it it all overlaps you know like it all it all overlaps and it all kind of piles on each other because you have the issue of like not having enough money so then how are you supposed to support yourself and how are you supposed to get out of that yes. and then there's the rights if i ever met a partner and i wanted to move in with them that i would lose my benefits so sure. like i'm in a very weird place that it's like i have to prioritize really myself and and nothing else yeah yeah but you make a lot of good points though especially in terms of prioritizing yourself because when it comes to um people that have learning disabilities or lifestyle disabilities things that um alter their perception and no one else really knows it unless if they know that you're experiencing it and even if they know you're experiencing it that doesn't mean that they know exactly how you're feeling or what you're feeling uh, it puts a lot of stress on people like ourselves who are navigating a world that is not made for us, that's not functioning for us. Uh, and that can be said about many other forms of people, not just with mm-hmm. neurodiversity, but just other people who don't fit the cookie cutter mainstream norm of our of our current generation. So what I'm wondering is that what are some things that you have noticed in addition to what you might have already shared in your day-to-day life, um, even like in living in Vancouver, what are some things that you notice that you might do for yourself that maybe the average individual may not do to just get ready for the day, to navigate through the day, to uh, go to work, for example? Like, what, what are some things that, let's say for people that really have no awareness or acceptance of what people like my, our, you and me and also Rachel go through? What are some things that you might do that are signature to your own self-care and well-being? Well, in terms of, like, things that I notice when I go out and, like, barriers that I notice, fluorescent lighting has to be number one. Um, so many, you know, businesses have it because it's just cheap, right? Yeah. But for yeah. me, it triggers very negative effects and very negative reactions, and I have very bad light sensitivity or photophobia. And so I can only spend a very, you know, specific amount of time in, like, retail locations before I feel overwhelmed and I have to get out of there. Mm -hmm. And people don't necessarily understand, like, if something, if I go somewhere, like, that is brightly lit, but it's, like, natural lighting, Mm. I'm okay. Yeah. But if it's, like, you know, that, and then, like, what other things? Um... People, I find that people, like, especially in Vancouver, which some people are not very nice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, we have that whole, oh, Canadians are so nice. But honestly, like, the amount of times I've gone to a store or something, and I've been really nice, very respectful, 
I've been treated really badly mm. or just I, I get uh, people profile me because I don't know purple hair or whatever it is um I sometimes get completely ignored in in retail stores or spoken to really horribly um I think people just need to be more compassionate and more uh, patient because invisible disabilities yes I think there's something that people don't understand yes like you could have somebody that looks like they're they're a customer that looks like they're really upset or, or whatever they could be dealing with really bad social anxiety like yes. you don't know so you just you need to know. treat everybody nicely which is like such a foreign concept mm -hmm. it's just so you know i think communication lighting um trying to think of other things that i find to be specific like barriers or like challenges I, I think that there's also businesses that don't have their like automatic door working or they like i worked at opus and langley for a while yeah mm -hmm. and uh, their front automatic door was broken so wheelchair users couldn't even like get into the store and then once you got into the store the aisles were so narrow yeah that you couldn't navigate through them yeah and then there's also things like overwhelming pungent smells in places yes. where people don't understand or perfume people wearing perfume my roommate gets very severe migraines from perfume and and that's like everywhere yeah like we need more unscented products. We need yes. more fragrance-free products. We need mm -hmm. more of that. And we need those kind of things enforced. Like people, okay, I get you want to wear perfume. I get people want to wear perfume and that's the thing they want to do. Wear it in your own home if you're like, yeah. you know, having reasons to do that. But to mm -hmm. expose other people to, to, to it or like the Axe spray or the uh, Old Spice or yeah. your Gain Laundry Soap. Like I've become so hyper aware to it now and people just don't understand that just because it smells nice for you doesn't mean you're not inflicting like pain upon somebody else. Yeah. Well, and also again, yeah, but also when you talk, yeah. when you talk about like neurodiversity or things that are like that trigger your neurons, again, it comes down to science and how we molecularly react to environmental stimulation. Can I just for one sec, cause I feel like, so with the terminology, with neurodiversity, this is super naive of me probably like and um i just backtrack a little bit i i have like le le legit generalized anxiety and i have all that all that great stuff health anxiety and blah 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 but um the term neural di neurodiversity to me was never i i never heard of it until not that long ago but it is a very old term so i just want to just for our listeners because i know we've, we've mentioned that term quite a few times during this chat um can you just explain exactly what that what that means like how how is it different from mental health or how is it different from anxiety or or is it the same is it the, under the same umbrella like what is if you if you don't so let me just quickly bring up exactly what it is because i don't want to i don't want to it does encompass autism obviously otherwise i wouldn't use it <laughs> um and my version of it is uh kind of a what's the word um interpretation of a symbol that i did not create um so i'm looking at an image here and it says it's things like dyscalculia so that's like having like for me i get really anxious and really upset and really stressed out when i have to deal with math and i'm not good at it which is part of what dyscalculia is um 
dyspraxia, so verbal skills, empathy, intuition, autism, mental health, um, acquired neurodiversity, Tourette's, ADHD, and dyslexia. That's what this specific image says. Um, this one says with fetal alcohol disorder, uh, spe fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, epilepsy, intellectual disability. Um, so it's kind of it's kind of a big, you know, it's it's a broad, yeah. I guess, spectrum in terms of what neurodiversity is. Mm -hmm. And that's true because it's interesting that in that NBLD, it's not in, in there, and it's definitely part of it. I mean, it's part of it, but again, I think it's stupid that you know, the DSM is such a huge documentation that people classify as important um, and that it recognizes everything. It doesn't, it doesn't, um, it doesn't recognize NBOD currently. Mm. And that's something that I know, I know that there are a couple organizations in New York, all one, the NBOD organization, simply put, that is working to raise awareness to help um get that classified i guess you could say so that way people can give you the support and that it is recognized that again like like how autism has become such a and so will always be an ongoing process for acceptance and awareness of course i find that nvld might be kind of the next thing maybe that people will mm. start to include in that awareness and acceptance you know, like it's, and I'm not bringing this to a casual light, but there's lots of money for cancer. There's lots of awareness for cancer. People know that, right? But then it turns out, and there's a lot of awareness for HIV, which is going to be ongoing that we need to have. But what about in continued autism and additional nonverbal neuro, neurodiversity, however you want to classify it? You know that you make some very good points there in the stories you shared in terms of the points you've raised that are still maybe some loopholes that people are not really grasping. Mm -hmm. It makes me wonder how long <clears throat> it'll take for enough people to be aware of what it is that we live with and Rachel included and how they truly can support us because we want to support them. It's not like we're trying to not be a hindrance it's not like we're trying to take away from what others are doing we just want to belong and and function and feel like we're equal mm -hmm. absolutely and it's i think the challenging part is that you're right like when are they gonna also when are they gonna see that it's not just for children because all the initiatives that people are fighting for are for youth um to, to have those resources and to have that assistance and even all the organizations that are local all have problems it's like they're all none of them obviously are going to function perfectly but they all have very specific problems and again they function by kind of utilizing and i say utilizing because they utilize parents of autistic autistic children and they almost maybe in a roundabout way weaponize them against autistic adults and that's how these organizations for autism specifically function is this weaponization of parents against yeah. autistic adults whether or not again whether or not that's their intention that is honestly what's going on because they're like you're not my like my child and i'm using this organization because they're helping me but we're like but do you not see all these problems they're like it doesn't matter like my child's getting the help my child needs so and maybe they're not maybe their child's not getting the help that they need but like that's kind of the way that these organizations function is they get that funding and i don't know how well it's allocated 
but it's certainly not allocated for adults. I wonder if there's like a horrible mindset. This is a horrible thing to think, but it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, well, we got to get them, you know, get the diagnosis. Now they're saying we got to get it young. We got to like, you know, nip this if we can and like trial the blah, 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 as they start to grow and as they start to hit puberty and all those kinds of things. So, you know, when they're an adult, it's like, eh, like, you know what, it's, it's too late. It's almost, I don't know if you feel that way. Like it's a terrible. No, totally. And they use things um, like ABA advanced behavioral analysis and BI, which is behavioral intervention, I believe. And those are both incredibly abusive. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, you're going to tell a parent that and a parent doesn't have anywhere else to go and is unaware of what else might be out there. Right. Then of course, it's easy to essentially indoctrinate them so that they feel like, they're getting what they need like i know my mom trying to get me help as a child without knowing i was autistic but there was like nothing out there Mm -mm. it was like nothing she had to spend money on you know private stuff um that didn't really end up doing anything for me so it's kind of like when you run out of ideas for your child you're gonna you're gonna grasp at straws you're gonna do anything for your child because that's your child like i'm a child-free person myself but in terms of like what my mom experienced you know i know how stressful and i know the kind of things that the hoops that she had to try to jump through and it was hard but yeah a lot of these parents don't know what to do they only see the resources that are out there i mean same with the puzzle piece people are like well this is a great thing this is a great symbol And it's like, it's easy to find out if anything is bad, no matter what it is, by adding words like hate or bad, or why is this bad to Google? And people just don't, they don't think to Mm -hmm. figure out like, why is ABA bad? Why don't you just Google that term? Because Mm -hmm. it's like you're having these professionals tout the positivity, the positive nature of these therapies. Right. You just, you said something that I just, it just lit off a light bulb in my head because something else that you are very vocal about um is what you said you mentioned the term child right and i i just have to say first of all thank you so much for um talking about that and being like this is me and that's okay because i'm at the age and i've aged myself a million times on this show i'm 38 so I, like, is my husband listening? Eh, whatever. We've, we've had these conversations before. <laughs> but um, I'm 38. And you know what? Like, I'm, I'm just coming to terms with the fact that maybe, maybe I really don't want kids. And that's okay. But those that were, I guess, born female, mm-hmm. innate, and there's this, this, like, societal pressure that I'm just so done with. And it still exists. It is so old school though still I can't believe so anyway I just have to say thank you for like stepping up and and being just really no I'm kind of I'm kind of an a-hole when it comes to that I might even have pins that I sell that say child free and stickers that say child free because I just I literally had enough like a guy yesterday messaged me on a I think plenty of fish and he goes do you want to have kids I'm like dude it says three places on my profile that I'm not interested in that (laughs) I said leave me alone and he's like what I'm like are you joking like are you making a joke are you mocking me and it happens 
to me honestly all the time. I run into more people on dating sites that want children than don't. And I'm almost 33. So like I'm, you know, I'm in my 30s and I'm like, do I just have to go get a tubal so that I get left alone? Like that's honestly what it feels like. I've never had the desire to have children. I have pretty strong views on why, which are very controversial. I don't always get into them. Probably imagine what they are. Um (laughs) so like I just I feel really strongly about not having kids. I feel like it's really honestly responsible for me. Um, I come from a genetic background where both my parents are kind of from the same tribe. So you can kind of imagine that there's a lot of stuff. Anyways, um, so I we have a lot of genetic issues, you know, especially as um, Ashkenazi Jews. Um, there's a lot of problems there and I, I want to be responsible. I don't want to look after another human. It's hard enough to look after myself. Thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to be able to do whatever the hell I want for the rest of my life. And I don't want to be hindered by anything. And I don't want to also be attached to somebody for the rest of my life. If something Yes. Yes. That I'm good. Like I am good. I'm, I have, I can go visit my roommate's cat. I have, a couple nephews and a niece i can go you know borrow them if i need to go hang out with a child like i'll go yes. take my niece to the movies and i'll go we'll have a great time like i like a lot of very childlike stuff so we'll go we the last movie we saw was the second jumanji sequel which was quite a while pre-pandemic yeah i cried at a canadian milk commercial my niece had a great time laughing at me like we had a lot. <laughs> But it's not only that, it's nobody's business. No, it's no. nobody's business. It's nobody's business. And I always, seriously, I always get the guys who want, like I'm pansexual, which is the recent thing for me, but I always get the guys coming at me being like, oh, it says I want kids. And I'm like, uh-huh. dude, your profile says you want kids. I'm sorry, I do not feel comfortable talking to you. And I'll say, our views do not align. If somebody wants kids, their views are totally different on the world than mine. Yeah, yeah. But aren't there certain things on Plenty of Fish that if people message you that they will, you'll get a notification saying your profile doesn't match or this person doesn't want Not on POF. So on POF, my profile specifically says does not have children, does not want children. Yeah. People can ignore that if they want to. That's how that website functions. Yeah. Okay. Because I know that, okay, well that, okay, fair enough. I know there are some profiles that say, you know, you have to write more message to be sent so i thought that maybe there might be additional things but yeah see so i have like these and i have pin versions (laughs) of them too i love that Um, yeah the pins are basically the same oh margo Margo, i'm gonna need to get one of those from you right they're really cool oh here we go here we go nice team child free but no we uh, see them I love that it. is great. That is great. And there was also, none of. Yeah. I find if I can't buy something and I want it, I'll just design it myself. <laughs> well, yeah, and I love that you have um again the neurodiversity pins as well. Um, that's definitely something that I I yeah. definitely want to get. I definitely want to get one of those and support your business. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, those have been really good. They've done great for me. I've sold well over two hundred of those, and I had to order more. So that's fantastic. That is. Yeah. Them. and there <clears throat> there's like there were so many other questions in my head I'm like what do I want to ask just before we, <laughs> before we wrap up but um just back to love on the spectrum for a sec because we did briefly yeah. speak of that <clears throat> for for shows like that or for those things that are that are really becoming um 
infiltrated into the mainstream. What are your thoughts? Like, are, are you, were you a fan of the show? Was so it I have, I found it to be somewhat entertaining, somewhat cringe. And the thing yeah. that I found the most unrealistic about it is as an autistic person myself, I've never dated another autistic person. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they kind of pigeonholed autistic people with other autistic people, like mm-hmm. why wasn't an autistic person dating a neurotypical person? Right. Why didn't they show that? Because honestly, that's more realistic. Right. And so I felt in a way they were just kind of like, I appreciated the quirks and I appreciated how the people that they had on there all had really bold personalities. I appreciated the casting. That was great. But it was the approach that the show took to kind of like the production. Uh-huh. You know, they, it looks like they put some of the people into purposely uncomfortable situations. And I, that made yeah. me uncomfortable because I'm like, I wouldn't want to be put into an uncomfortable situation if I was on a show about dating. And like, yeah. I would want to go out with somebody that was, ner- I'd like I, I wouldn't necessarily care if they were autistic or neurotypical, but the fact that they only showed autistic people dating autistic people was just th- throw in some neurotypical people in there. Throw see how somebody who is neurotypical mm-hmm. reacts or um, converses with somebody that's autistic. Yes, show the audience that because yeah, that is that's real how, life. That's real life, and that's something that I think they they really honestly sorely missed out on good point that is well really said point. yeah because i think there was only there was one one time where there was a speed dating and there was i forget the the guy's name but he did he he was really interested in a couple neurotypical oh it was in the last season and yeah, that's right and i think there was there and, was only one though just one where and, and what's interesting is that in the end he still didn't end up going on a date with them he went on a date with you know, someone else who uh, was autistic. So it's, yeah. So it makes you wonder just how much of that program was really like, um, I guess, manicured or tailored for yeah. the person to have a specific outcome. Because yeah. I know the producers have a lot of a lot of say with those kind of things. That's true. You're right. Are you, are you a reality TV? I think you like you like some reality TV, right? <sighs> I like such trash. Like I watch Teen Mom OG. I watch Teen Mom 2. I watch Little People Big World. I yeah. follow the Duggars. And I, it's kind of like for me, the Duggars, it's like washing, watching like a trash fire because it's yes. a complete opposite lifestyle that I would ever want to live for myself. And the, the, um, the way that the girls have to be subservient and are only there to pop out as many babies as possible. And the fact that they're never, they're not brought up to think for themselves. They're brought up to, they're brought up to be parents. They give the, the, these child's dolls as soon as they can. They hand them babies as soon as they can. And, and I guess I just watch it because it's like, you know, sometimes you have to watch the thing that you really don't like just to be like, okay, I'm so happy in my own life, but that's not the life I'm living. So absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely. Oh, there is one more. Sorry. Cause we're just talk on that, on that topic. All good. One more show, um, Atypical. Mm-hmm. So have you seen that? I haven't watched it, no. So what's interesting to me about that show, and Hero, have you seen it? Yeah, I actually need to watch the final season, but I've seen yeah. it to the end of the third, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm watching it right now. What, what I find interesting is, and maybe this was, this kind of happened more after they casted the first season, but when they cast it, the, the main character he in real life is not autistic, but he plays someone who's autistic. Okay. Now, 
now what I'm noticing, but what I'm noticing is what they've, what they tried to do in like the season just before this one. And in this season is that he goes to college and now his friends or people, they are in real life, they're actors, but they are autistic, which I think is really cool because they're casting people, you know, and I feel like Hollywood is, is kind of trying to do that more and more. For example, with, um, you know, people's sexual preference or their genders or whatever it might be like they're actually trying to cast that character you know so I guess like I don't even know what my question is it's more just like uh an observation of kind of like Hollywood's kind of recognizing there's very talented people that might have disabilities and they can be brought into these you know these shows and these storylines that have to do with that lifestyle and it's it's kind of cool to see actually oh and they need more of that they need like there's very capable disabled actors that they need to provide jobs to like we don't need people that are not disabled pretending to be disabled and furthermore if you knew that whole did you hear the whole thing with sia's movie music what happened with that so sia had a, a movie and you know, Sia's muse is Maddie Ziegler from Dance Moms, that young girl who dances in her her music videos, I think, right. like, a last part and all kinds of stuff. And Sia had said, oh, I'm writing a movie for Maddie. Um, it's in the works, whatever. People had forgotten that she made that comment. Sia comes out with this, this movie music where Maddie Ziegler is playing as, I think, Sia said, a severely autistic person. And it's literally like a caricature of an autistic person that Maddie's playing. Maddie apparently said, I don't want to do this and cried about it. And Sia was like, it's okay, it's okay. Everything will be fine. Movie got panned. It's one of the worst movies. And she even had apparently visual effects that would have sent somebody into sensory overload in the film. Oh, what? Oh my God, I didn't hear that. No, oh, no idea. Freaking bad so i mean that's like on the other end of the whole thing of of really mocking a disabled person and triggering disabled people and apparently even in the film they use some kind of restraint where they're laying on her which is apparently not a good thing to even do like in real life you know physical, physical restraint um and so yeah the movie apparently is just disgusting and sia got a lot of backlash from Whoa. the autistic community yeah Whoa. you might want to you might want to Google that at some point. Yeah. Now, when you say movie, do you mean like a motion picture or a music? Oh, movie? it was it was a full motion picture that apparently was supposed to be in theaters. Oh yeah. Oh. Um, Kate oh. Hudson played the older sister of Maddie Ziegler. Oh. Whoa. It's. It is mind blowing when you actually look and the things that she said, she told them not to an autistic person wrote her and said, you know, like you could have hired autistic people. You could have hired me. I'm an actor. And I think Sia said, well, you must be a pretty bad actor. then." Like she was insulting literally everybody who had something to say to her. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, you can do it two ways. You can be like really receptive and and be like atypical and be like, look, we didn't hire an autistic person to start, but we're going to hire more and we're going to do that and we're going to do the best we can. And then you have shows like Good Doctor and Sesame Street that are involved with Autism Speaks. So, like, I forgot about the Good Doctor. Yeah, yeah. I did background on the Good Doctor once. Really? Yeah. Because it's filmed in Vancouver, right? Yeah, so I do extra work, like, very seldomly. But Wow. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, Margot, it's been incredible being able to have you as part of the podcast. And also, we know that you followed us quite a while ago. And 
when we were looking at people that were really in the community and let alone in Vancouver and in a shared lifestyle or way of thinking about life in general. We knew we wanted to have you come on and we're so happy that you were able to come on and share some of your story with us and also raise some really key points of awareness for the community that would be tuning into this. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Say it better than that. <clears throat> Absolutely. And then maybe next time we'll have to have you all back on and we'll have to talk more about our Jewishness and what, <laughs> what that means. <laughs> Absolutely. Like I always am like, should I look up people in my ancestry and see if I'm related to them? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh my God. I know. And actually, well, it is something. Okay. Well, we won't even get, we won't even get into the conversation about that. <laughs> I'm going to stop myself there. Um, yeah, but no, it's been an absolute pleasure. And the next time in, I'm in Vancouver, maybe we can even, you know, I don't know, see each other and go out and get something. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love that. Also, can I um, plug my website? Yes, please. We were going to ask, we were going to okay. ask you. Yes, go. <laughs> okay, good. Um, my blog is www.navigatingjourney.com. My Etsy shop is retrophiliac, R-E-T-R-O-P-H-I-L-I-A-C dot Etsy.com. I'm kind of all over the web as well, but... If you go to my website, my blog, you can find pretty much everything there. Love Fantastic. it. Fantastic. Thank it. you so much. And thank and you. Our final question, our final, final yeah. silly question, just to leave it on a, a lighter note, um, just because we're the Getting Juicy podcast, and we might change this this question at some point. <laughs> but if you, if you were a juice, and I'm not even going to say a fruit juice, like any juice, any juice, what would you be and why? Um, probably grape juice because I'm kind of tart and I like purple. Amazing. And how perfectly kosher in Manischewitz? Um, yes, delicious. <laughs> Ketim. Ketim is also delicious as well. Yes. Let's not yes. forget. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Well, have a great fantastic day in Vancouver. And I am in Vancouver as well. So maybe me and you will bump into each other sooner than we might think. Who knows? I'd love that. That sounds great. We'll keep in touch. Thanks, Margo. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.